0: So this is Dr. David Edelman, the Harry Reasoner Regents Chair in Law at the University of Texas School of Law. And today we are going to talk about their uh, paper with uh, Dr. David Spence on U.S. Climate Policy and the Regional Economics of Electricity Generation. So David, if you could go ahead and just kind of describe the paper, uh, summarize um, the uh, uh, the analysis, um, the methods, purpose, etc., And just tell us about what y'all found. Okay. Um, Great. So
1: I'm really happy to have the opportunity to speak um, about the paper. What we wanted to do is use a really highly simplified model that would um, basically tell us a a couple of things. Um, The first is would allow us to understand the impact of different policies. Um, Most importantly, a carbon tax versus what are referred to as renewable portfolio standards. And renewable portfolio standards simply establish um, requirements for a certain percentage of the power generated by a company to be from renewable sources. And it's typically phased in over some number of years. Um, We looked at RPSs that ramped up to 30% renewables and 50% renewables. So that's the first thing, sort of understanding um, the relative efficacy of different policies. The second thing we wanted to understand was how um, different prices affected um, the amount of carbon emissions associated with the electricity utility sector. Um, So the price of renewables, if you make different assumptions about how fast the price of renewables is dropping, um, as well as the price of natural gas, how that could impact um, the rise or increase in renewables or the relative generation between traditional fossil fuel sources versus um, zero carbon sources like wind and solar. So that, that was sort of the build a really simple model and a model that could tell us something about those two central questions. Um, We then added one additional dimension to the paper and that was we looked at different regions of the country. And our assumption was, um, depending on the relative costs of different generation sources and the different generation mixes in different parts of the country, that that would influence the effect of both the costs of you know, commodities like natural gas, and the impact of different types of policies. Um, So we looked at essentially California, Texas, the Midwest, and the Northeast.
0: Were policies in any of the different regions, uh, did they have different impacts on those regions? Yeah, we saw um, what I'd say is uh, overall
1: we found that um, putting a price on carbon um, was dramatically more effective at reducing carbon emissions and increasing the percent of renewables um, than a renewable portfolio standard. And that was true across the country. So if you had a choice between um, a renewable portfolio standard and a carbon tax, um, we uniformly find that a carbon tax is better. If you just focus on renewable portfolio standards, we found in most of the jurisdictions, most of the regions of the country, that renewable portfolio standards at kind of moderate um, natural gas prices um, didn't have much of an impact at all. So in other words, market forces were already causing reductions in CO2 emissions and um, having even a pretty aggressive Carbon er, Renewable Portfolio Standard didn't have that much of an effect beyond just the status quo. The one place that was that was not true was in the Midwest, hmm. and the kind of key difference we see in terms of the relative impact of different policies is how much coal versus natural gas generation supply was in the market. So the Midwest is the only market where there's kind of comparable um, capacity with natural gas and coal. All the other markets, um, either they have no coal or essentially no coal or coal is a relatively small proportion of their generation capacity. And so in the Midwestern, in the Midwest, we found that renewable portfolio standards had a significant impact in uh, reducing CO2 emissions. I think it was something like um, roughly a 25 to 30 percent reduction. Um, And so that's one place where a renewable portfolio standard could have a significant impact. The one other thing I would say is our model is super, super simplified. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we assume that there are essentially um, no barriers to building new capacity. So, you know, transmission constraints, access to financing, Mm -hmm. regulatory barriers. And so we assume that Um, The construction or the shutting down of facilities is, on an annual basis, really, really fluid. You know, there's little or no friction in the market. And one of the things that an RPS can do is, if there are those sorts of barriers, particularly financing barriers or regulatory barriers, if you're forced to build a certain amount of capacity, you find a way to address those obstacles. Um, Whereas... The carbon tax would have to might have to be pretty high before you mm-hmm. overcome those sorts of barriers.
0: Okay, could you talk about the interplay between you know what your forward natural gas price assumptions um, and, and and how they impacted um, you know when renewables would come into the market and you know how that would impact the you know the ultimate grid mix or how far out did y'all um, so, we covered 15 years, um, and
1: the paper's are a couple of years old, um, so it was from 2016 to 2031. Okay. So, those years. Um, basically, uh, what we, you know, one of the things that, so the conventional wisdom is something like this um, low natural gas prices. Um, lower market prices and therefore create, in essence, a barrier to construction of wind and solar. If you have higher prices for natural gas, the assumption is that market prices will be slightly higher, mm-hmm. um, and that will allow uh, wind and solar to come into the market. Mm-hmm. We observe that with kind of a vengeance, um, and so, but we do see kind of a tipping point around roughly around three and a half dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so natural gas prices are below three and a half dollars create a significant barrier to entry for for renewables. Mm. Um, the other thing that, that we observe is um, with higher natural gas prices, um, you create market conditions where Coal is competitive, so in the near term, with higher natural gas prices, one of those sort of justifications for, for beliefs that natural gas, low natural gas prices are good, is that if you if natural gas is pushing coal out of the market, mm-hmm. then that has a net reduction in CO2 emissions. There's some complications associated with that, like leakage rates of methane directly into the atmosphere can offset that. Future to methane emissions. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, But if we just sort of set those aside for a second, the sort of conventional narrative is um, if you have low natural gas prices, you drive coal out of the market, and that's good for climate change. Mm -hmm. What we see is a difference between short-term and long-term effects of natural gas prices. And so what we find is even though natural gas prices, let's say, are higher early on, because they create market conditions in which wind and solar can enter the market, longer term, they actually have a dramatic uh, effect on reduction of CO2 emissions. So in essence, you're giving up lower CO2 emissions earlier in time, and they're being more than offset by the decline in CO2 emissions associated with the entry of wind and solar into the market. Oh, interesting. And so it's a little bit more complicated story than proponents of, um, like low natural gas and um, generation through natural gas-fired power plants, so that they're supplanting coal. Mm-hmm. You know, they may be benefiting in the near term, but they don't. They're not so competitive against the coal that they cause coal. At least so far, we've seen some retirements, but we see way far, far more retirements if we have actually higher natural gas prices. Allow renewables to enter the market, we see coal fired power plants retiring at much, much higher rates in that scenario than a scenario with sort of consistently low natural gas prices.
0: Okay. Is that because even though prices in the market may be higher, there's just less megawatt hours being produced by those coal plants? Yeah. So we see that there, um,
1: the Percent of time that they operate drops much much more precipitously Mm. when wind and solar come into the market,
0: right? And particularly solar when it comes into the market. That's really interesting trade-off there. I've I've noticed that I've seen um, with low natural gas prices and bid stacks being so shallow or so uh, not very steep, yeah, Yeah. kind of flat. That it's it's, well, that makes it hard for actually anything to enter the market. Correct. (laughs) That's right,
1: that's right. Yeah. The subsidies, the federal subsidies help some, mm-hmm.
0: um, but those are also being phased out. Certainly the wind is being, is sort of right. being phased out. And with those wind and solar, if they have a PPA, then maybe they actually don't really care what the price in the market is. They're, right. they're right. being made whole by the PPA. Although
1: presumably PPA prices are going to be tracking market prices too. Right. So you've got, you know, there's, there's still a sensitivity that you need to be concerned about. That's true.
0: Can you speak to um, to look at carbon taxes versus renewable portfolio standards? Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you speak to you know what level of carbon tax would one need to to match an equivalent portfolio standard?
1: So even even a really low um, carbon tax. Mm-hmm. So we're talking you know starting at twenty bucks. Um, Or actually, I guess we used a flat $25 um, per ton. Per metric ton, yeah. Yep. Um, That was still far superior to um, to an RPS. So even our lowest um, carbon tax um, that was sort of a delayed carbon tax that I think started at $20, that was superior to an aggressive 50% RPS. Mm. So you know, we, we our results, and remember, you know, these, these are, again, relatively frictionless markets. Mm-hmm. It's all driven by market prices. So the purpose of this paper is to really sort of single out and focus on how market dynamics are affected by these prices and by different policies. And so if that's all you're focused on and you've got essentially a perfectly functioning market, there's really, there's to really no, you know, even you would have to go I think below like a fifteen dollar carbon tax mm-hmm. to see you know kind of similar impacts between an aggressive with an aggressive
0: RPS. The the disparity in the efficacy was really that great in our model. Really, is, does an aggressive RPS is that like fifty percent or? That's fifty percent. Okay. So fifty okay. percent by twenty thirty one. Okay which is, I think, by
1: most people's standards would be viewed, maybe except for California, <laughs> would be viewed as,
0: as a pretty aggressive RPS. Right. I mean, we've seen other RPSs that are further off than that, maybe a bit higher, but that seems about roughly where they'd be at mm-hmm. that point. The, the other interesting factor here is um, looking at the impacts of a
1: carbon tax versus an RPS on nuclear generation. Oh, yeah. So nuclear power generators have long been proponents of carbon taxes, and we actually find that um, the dynamics with nuclear power plants is, is more complicated than maybe they assume. And it's a similar sort of scenario that we're talking about with the coal. It ends up being that the wind and the solar pushed out coal much more effectively than even low natural gas prices did. Similarly, if you have a carbon tax and you have a significant build out of wind and solar, because it's essentially near zero marginal cost, it also competes very effectively against um, nuclear power power plants. Mm -hmm. And what that means is their capacity factors drop pretty significantly. So the view or the assumption that a carbon tax is gonna be a friend of nuclear power doesn't naturally play out because nuclear now is competing against these zero-marginal cost generation sources that can outcompete them. They're now Mm -hmm. getting shifted more up the stack, in other words.
0: Did that take a while to move into the market while things got built? Yeah. The short-term versus the long-term nuclear flow? Exactly.
1: Yeah. So short-term nuclear is going to be better off. Longer-term, as the penetration of renewables goes up, they also become vulnerable. And I don't think they've adequately – or at least the, the literature I've read, I don't think that there's been an adequate appreciation of that yet. Mm-hmm. What about
0: just total carbon? Like, um, what, uh, was a uh, carbon tax also the best mechanism for reducing the total amount of CO2 that entered the atmosphere? Overwhelmingly. You know, the RPS effects on
1: CO2 emissions um, were pretty modest, whereas um, even a modest carbon tax... Um, you know, a flat carbon tax of $25 per metric ton, that dropped carbon emissions by two-thirds, basically. So we saw um, more rapid reduction in CO2 emissions and much deeper reductions in CO2 emissions with a carbon tax relative to an RPS standard. And the, the reason for that, you can understand, is a carbon tax is doing two things that reinforce each other. One is it's changing the stack, so it's shifting up both natural gas and, most importantly, um, coal-fired power plants further up the stack. It's making them less competitive. And then at the same time, it's raising prices within the markets, and so it's drawing in renewables into the market much more rapidly. Mm. The market conditions are more favorable to them. And so you're both increasing the amount of renewables and you get kind of this virtual se- virtuous cycle and you're reducing significantly the capacity factors of the plants, the fossil fuel plants that stay in the market. Mm. Whereas with just an RPS, you're adding renewables to the market and so you are kind of shifting them up the stack but the relative competitiveness of the different generation sources isn't affected by an RPS. Mm. And that sort of double dividend changing, shifting the fossil fuel plants further up the stack, making them significantly less competitive, um, as well as creating improving market conditions, really seems to supercharge um, the reduction in CO2 emissions.
0: So, in this in, in this country, uh, other countries are implement are starting to implement um, carbon taxes. Uh, in this country, we've preferred. I like to say carrots, not sticks. So we preferred RPSs. They've been, they've, we deployed more renewables on RPS, than we possibly have with you know carbon taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak to the, or where you, your analysis allow you to speak to the, 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 the total amount of money that um, uh, that each one of these uh, pathway pathways take, like a you know using a carbon tax that gets you to. 50% renewables versus an RPS that gets you to 50% renewables.
1: What I can't do it in terms of like the different total costs associated with, let's say an RPS versus a carbon tax. Mm-hmm. The most direct way we could we could measure that is by looking at the relative price of electricity, and so we were able to look at that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, probably just as you would expect, um, sticking a, a carbon tax on as your policy increases the price of electricity within a market. that's what it's supposed to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so an RPS versus a carbon tax it ha- leads to you know, we actually I think saw declines in electricity prices relative to the status quo. So whereas with a carbon tax, prices were, you know, close to um, $50 um, with an RPS, they were 40 or maybe a little bit below. But mm-hmm. that's not quite answering your question. That's sort of, you know, what is the market effect of different policies? You're obviously generating a bunch of revenue associated with a carbon tax. Right. And you can do a variety of different things that could mitigate, for example, the increased cost of electricity. Um, and so that's we don't attempt to take that into account. But we do, you know, just as you would expect, we, we do see the price of electricity going up, but that's pretty modest. You Mm -hmm. know, that's maybe, like I was saying around 15, maybe at most 20% increase for um, carbon taxes that went up to, I think the highest one went up to about $50 per ton. Okay. I think what this paper says is um, we may be getting significant construction of renewables Mm -hmm. in these different markets but that doesn't necessarily translate to kind of a proportionate reduction in CO2 emissions. At least in our modeling, mm-hmm. um, we see a lot of the market forces leading to a reduction in CO2 emissions. that doesn't appear to differ that much from whether or not, you know, with or without an RPS. And so if ultimately what you care about is reduction in CO2 emissions, we just don't think it's a close call between an RPS and, you know, a cap and trade regime um, or a carbon tax. And so people, I'm sympathetic to concerns about the distributional impacts of different policies and their fairness. Um, I think there are ways in which you can structure those policies in ways that address those distributional consequences. And I think that Um, what matters most is not the perception that you're just building renewables. What matters is that you're actually having a significant impact in CO2 emissions associated with the electricity utility sector. Um, And again, I think, I just don't think it's a close call between the two. And I think that's what we should be more focused on. And I don't think we've adequately um, assessed the efficacy of RPS standards with regard to reduce, actually reducing CO2 emissions.
0: Okay. So when you say it's not a close call, you mean the carbon taxes are superior? Yeah. I mean, you know, a factor of two
1: at least better um, in reducing CO2 emissions, even at really modest levels, at levels that are below what a lot of policymakers are talking about today. So there are a lot of policymakers talking about a forty dollar per ton. Um, tax on CO2, our model suggests that a $25 per ton you know, tax over an extended period of time would have a dramatic impact in reducing CO2 emissions. Okay. So you can get a huge you know, effect with really a modest impact, what we would expect to be a modest impact on electricity prices versus spending a lot of time and energy supporting RPSs that because they don't have that double dividend, Mm -hmm. they're not changing, you know, the relative competitiveness of fossil fuel sources, as well as increasing, you know, the attractiveness of the market by higher prices, Um, that you're building renewables but if your capacity factors of your fossil fuel fleet are still aren't really coming down significantly, which they do in the case of a carbon tax because of the relative competitiveness, mm-hmm. then you're not being nearly as effective in reducing CO2 emissions.
0: Okay. Um, so $25 is lower than referred a lot. Mm-hmm. Um do you think if your model had some of the friction introduced into it that that number might go up a little bit? Yeah,
1: I think that's a totally um, a fair inference to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we you know, we would have to say that the numbers that we're putting in our model that are having significant effects are absolutely a lower bound. Maybe something to do would be you know, insofar as we could make it more realistic, it would be really interesting to see what kind of impact that has on how, what your minimal price on carbon needs to be to incentivize entry into the market. I mean, one thing I can say is, um, you know, transmission is maybe, what, 15% of overall cost of electricity. Um, The the regulatory costs associated with um, building a new facility are certainly less than 10%. Mm -hmm. Um, There's time associated with it. Um, So I'm not, you know, I think my initial intuition would be the barriers are more political with regard to transmission capacity as opposed to economic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, building a more complex model with regard to transmission, I'm not sure would be that helpful other than creating bottlenecks that would be kind of absolute. Um, On the regulatory front, I just don't think it's, I don't think the costs are so great that it would have that much influence on the necessary carbon price. Um, So maybe this all goes back to for renewables, solar is more flexible and so less kind of vulnerable potentially to transmission constraints. Um, And so maybe we're less worried about those sorts of sources of friction within the market wind definitely is, you know, transmission is, is absolutely a constraint. And so maybe mm-hmm. it goes back to combining policies. You know, if we had a modest carbon tax and we had policies that were specifically targeting these barriers, whether regulatory delays, you know, mm-hmm. modifying regulations so that they operate more efficiently, and maybe most importantly, some mechanism for getting transmission constructed, <laughs> then that, you know, would be less about, you know, what's the appropriate carbon tax. It would be more about marrying complementary policies to propel the deployment of
0: renewables effectively. Sounds like you're talking about a national energy policy. Or the beginnings of one, anyway. <laughs> the beginnings of one. <laughs> That's right. Or a Green New Deal. Oh or perhaps. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, all right. Well, Let's stop there. we'll stop there. All right. Thanks That's a lot. Good. Thank you.